text. And what we saw last week when Pastor Dave was preaching that, <coughs> sorry, what we saw last week from, from Joshua chapter 6 is that Israel experienced a great triumph. They defeated the Canaanites in the city of Jericho. And what God commanded them to do was to wipe out all of the Canaanites in Jericho, to, to leave nothing that breathes. And he gave them this command in Deuteronomy 20, 16 verse, through verse 18. He says, But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hiphites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. So God tells Israel to wipe out all of the Canaanites in Jericho. And he, and he tells them to do so because if they don't wipe out everybody, then there is a chance that Israel will fall into idolatry by going after the gods of the Canaanites. So he wants them to leave alive nothing that breathes and to, and to devote the entire place to destruction. And the reason that God did this is because the Canaanites dwelled in the promised land. And everything in the promised land was going to go to Israel. And the entire land would be theirs. Anybody outside of the promised land would not be destroyed in the same way the Canaanites. In fact, God told anybody outside the promised land, he told Israel not to destroy them the way that they destroyed the Canaanites. He told them to offer terms of peace. And this is what they did uh, to the people outside of the land. But what we see in Joshua 6 is that Israel experienced a great victory. They defeated the powerful city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a mighty city, and Israel easily defeated them. And they defeated them because God was on their side. And the specific command that God gave Israel as I just mentioned, was to devote the entire place to destruction. But there was spoil within Jericho that was left over that Israel was supposed to do something special with. God gave them the specific command in Joshua chapter 6, verse 19, not to take any of the spoil for their own possession. He says in verse 19, "...all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury." Of the Lord. And what we see throughout the book of Joshua is what is known as the devoted things. Things that were meant for as a sacred offering to, to the Lord that were to be devoted to complete destruction, like the Canaanites and, and the city that they dwelled in. But there's also spoil that was left over, like gold and silver, that's also referred to as the devoted things. And that was meant as a sacred offering to the Lord as well. Not to be destroyed, but to go into the treasury of the Lord, as, as it says in verse 19 of Joshua 6. And this is what our text is about today. The sin of Achan. We see in verse 1 of Joshua 7, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things 
and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So the very thing that the Lord commanded Israel not to do in Joshua 6, they did in Jericho. And you'll notice in verse 1 that the anger of the Lord didn't burn only against Achan. It also burned against all of Israel. So the sin of this one man was counted against the sin of the entire nation. And this is the main idea today of this sermon. As you strive to enter God's rest, you must understand that your sin is capable of destroying you and causing suffering to those close to you. As you strive to enter God's rest, you must understand that your sin is capable of destroying you and causing suffering to those close to you. So because of this one man's sin, the Lord's anger burned against all the people of Israel. And this is point one this morning. Take heed to the warning that your community bears the consequences of your sin. Take heed to the warning that your community bears the consequences of your sin. Now, in in Joshua 7, after defeating Jericho, Joshua was feeling good about their mission. They had just defeated this powerful foe, and there, 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 there couldn't be anything to worry about. They just had this great, exciting victory, and what, what could happen that could bring us to such a low point? And so Joshua sends out spies into the city of Ai to, to scout out the camp to see how many men they need to send out in order to defeat the city of Ai. And we reread this in verses 2 through 4. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Okay, so the spies go and they, and they scout out Ai. And what they find is that this is going to be a piece of cake to win this battle. And so they come back to Joshua and they tell Joshua, we got this easily. And so Joshua listens to them. He takes their advice. And so Joshua, in verse 4, sends about 3,000 men and they went up there from the people. And, and, and what we're going to see here is that the people of Israel fled before the men of Ai. And so Joshua sends 3,000 men, and this might sound like a lot of people to you, but this is not a lot of people. In Joshua 4.13, he sent 40,000 men into battle. And so 3,000 men is just a fraction of the people that should have gone into battle. And they did this because they underestimated their opponent, and they thought that they would easily defeat Ai in the same way they defeated Jericho. But they made it a major miscalculation because in Joshua 6, God was with them because they did not sin against him. In Joshua 7, Achan sinned against God and he was not with them. And and so I easily defeated them. So we see here that it did not go well. And they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And what we saw in Joshua 6 is that the the hearts of the Canaanites melted 
And so the very thing that happened to the Canaanites now happened to Israel because they disobeyed God because of their sin. So when Joshua heard what, would ha- what, what happened, he was devastated. He was not only devastated, he was surprised. He thought they would easily win. He wondered how this could be. And at this point in the narrative, he did not know that there was sin among them. He did not know that Achan had kept some of the devoted things that were meant for the treasury of the Lord, and he kept it for his own possession. He, Joshua did not know this. He says in verses 6 through 9, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So Joshua is stunned at what took place here. And he cries out to God and he wonders how this could be. Because of Achan's sin, all of Israel suffered when the men of Ai easily defeated them. And on the outside, Achan seemed like an upright man. He was among the people of Israel. These were supposed to be God's people. You know, he was supposed to be a holy person. No one knew of his hidden sin. And most churchgoers, like like many in this room today, appear very clean on the outside. So my question to you is, do you have any hidden sins? Do you gossip when, when, do you gossip about someone when they're not around and then when, when you talk to them to their face, you say something completely different? Do you mistreat your spouse? Do you have impure thoughts? Do you lie? Do you cheat? Do you embezzle money at work? The hidden sin of Achan brought down not just himself, it brought down all of Israel. Your hidden sins do far more damage than you can ever imagine. In the previous chapter, as I mentioned, Israel defeated the strong city of Jericho because God was with them. And then I, the city of I is a much weaker opponent. And you can tell by the way that Israel approached this that I was a much easier city. They they send only 3,000 men. They send spies. They check out the place. And this is easy. But what they soon found is that they had no chance against the people of Ai because God was not with them. God was not with them in the same way he was with them in chapter 6 because Achan sinned. Ai was a, a much weaker opponent. And what does this tell you? Victories are won by God. They're not won by human strength. As a Christian, your victories aren't won by your physical strength that you possess, no matter how strong or mighty you might think. Victories are not won by our church, no matter how strong we might think we are on the outside. We might have the greatest programs in the world. We might have some of the strongest leaders in the state of Minnesota that attend this church. But it doesn't matter because if God is not with us, we can't win any spiritual victories. We can't win any victories that have any eternal significance. How is Mount Free Church going to win its community to Christ if sin is present among us? 
If we appear strong on the outside, if we appear strong physically, externally, nothing will happen. We won't win any spiritual victories. Heaven will not be rejoicing if we're not, if, if we're not holy people. If we sin and, and we look strong, nothing of value is being gained at all. But if we as a church walk in holiness, amazing things will happen. And of course, you can't control the actions of other people in this church. You can't, you can't control their hidden sin, but you can control your own. And so individually look at your life and see what sins you might have that might be, keeping, that might be holding us back from, from God doing amazing things in our midst. And we see this example in Joshua 6. What an amazing victory Israel's has in Joshua 6 at the Battle of Jericho because God is with them. And what a humiliating defeat in chapter 7 when God is not with them. This is the evidence. The evidence is right in front of us. We need to be a holy people at Mount Free Church. 19th century theologian Alexander McLaren said, the victories of the church are won by its holiness far more than by any gifts or powers of mind, culture, wealth, eloquence, or the like. He's right. Victories are won by holiness. We need to be a holy people. Israel was holy in chapter 6. In chapter 7, they have sin among them, and they, and they get easily defeated. And if we want to see revival in Mound, if we want to see revival in our community, it starts with holy living. Israel was punished because of Achan's sin. So your sin can bring down this entire church. That, that's how serious sin is. The sin of one man in Mount, at Mount Free Church can bring down the entire church. The sin of, of one woman can bring down the entire church. So take heed to the warning that your, that your community bears the consequences of your sin. And we see, we see in our culture that, that hidden sin really does destroy organizations. We saw this in the last couple of years with Penn State University with their football coach, Jerry Sandusky. He, for several decades, he molested many young boys. And this was a sin that he kept hidden and, and other people in, in the football program and the university kept hidden. And it wasn't until the last two years that this came out. And the, he brought the, the entire institution down with him. The sins of one man destroyed Penn State. And Penn State's never going to be the same. It's going to take him a long time to recover. And it's because of this one man's sin. The, the football program will never be the same because of, um, because of this one man's sin. Joe Paterno, the, the Hall of Fame coach, will never be the same. His legacy is tarnished because he kept this man's sin hidden. So sin really blows up. And, so, and as I talk about hidden sin, I also must mention hidden faithfulness. There's another, there's another end to this. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. For your Father who sees in secret will, will reward those who do things in secret. So be a person who does things in secret. Be a person of hidden faithfulness. Someone who I know in my life who is a great example of this, who passed away a couple years ago, was my grandfather, Mel Lysine. 
You know, and, and many of you know him. He was a part of this church at the back end of his life. Every organization that he was a part of benefited from his faithfulness. He, was a, he worked at Cargill for almost 40 years. That company, whether they know it or not, benefited from his loyalty to them for that, for that many years. Central Free Church in Minneapolis, he was a part of that church for over 50 years, and he served the church faithfully the entire time he was there. Central Free Church benefited from my grandfather's faithfulness. My family has benefited. We, we, we're bearing the fruit of his faithfulness even after he is gone. It, it's incredible. And not only that, but his wife, my grandmother, who he stood by for, my, my grandmother had schizophrenia and she had all these physical issues and she was in a wheelchair and she, and she lost her sight. My grandfather stood by her all those years and, and he got no praise, no applaud from the world, but his hidden faithfulness, many people benefited, it, benefited from it way beyond what we can imagine. So as you look at your life, don't be a person who hides your sin and, and brings down those with you. Be a person who is full of hidden faithfulness. You do good things with, when, when, out, when no one is looking. And because you do good things when no one is looking, the people around you benefit from it, even if they don't even know it. But God will reward you when you meet him in heaven. And if there is hidden sin, it is very important to deal with it. So if you have hidden sin here today, you can still turn from it. That's the important thing. And this brings us to point two. In order for God's people to continue with him, sin must be dealt with. In order for God's people to continue with him, sin must be dealt with. Look with me at chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. So Israel, because of their sin, is now in the same position as the Canaanites in Joshua 6. And so what we see here is that there is no double standard with God. He punishes the Canaanites for their sin and he punishes his own people for their sin. But we do see a little bit of a difference because in chapter 6, he devotes Jericho to complete destruction because of their sin. And that is a picture of divine judgment. This is what God is going to do to the ungodly at the final judgment. God's whole, what stems out of his holiness is his holy wrath. And he completely destroys the wicked. And that's what he will do to all the ungodly in hell for all eternity. Is he completely destroys the wicked. But in chapter 7, what we, see, we see something different. He has a covenant relationship with Israel. And so, yes, they are devoted to destruction, but they won't be completely destroyed because, they are, because God has made a, a covenant with them. But he tells them to rid the sin from among them. And the person who has committed the crime, Achan, is the one who will be destroyed, as we'll see in the coming verses. And we, and we see this often in in our world, when, when things that seem so small blow up into something big. I, I already mentioned what happened at Penn State. Uh, one of the greatest disasters of the 19th century started out very small, and it blew up into something enormous, and that is uh, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Uh, this was a fire that started out 
in a barn near downtown Chicago. Uh, some, some rumors have swirled around. These probably aren't true rumors, but that a cow kicked over a lantern. And probably not true, but, but take that for what it's worth. And the hay starts on fire, and the entire barn starts on fire. And the fire department comes, and they can't, and they can't contain it. And before long, the fire spreads all through downtown Chicago. And once the damage was all said and done, the damage stretched four miles in length throughout, through Chicago. And 300,000 people lived in Chicago at this time, and 100,000 people were homeless. 300 people lost their life. And it's known as one of the greatest disasters of the 19th century. And this was from a tiny fire that started in a barn that was next to downtown. And, you, and this is how sin is. Sin starts out small. And you might think your sin is smaller than you think, but it blows up into something big. And that's how sin works, is that it escalates. It starts out small, and then before you know it, you're doing things you never thought you'd do. And it, and it blows up into something big. So be aware of your sin. Take care of it while it's small. Hidden sin can destroy you, and it can destroy your community as well. So Israel must deal with the sin. And God explains to them in the second half of verse 12 through verse 15 the very thing they need to do to rid the sin from among them. He says, Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, uh, I will be with you no more. So he says, Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for, for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So, God gives Joshua the clear command that they need to deal with the sin, that Achan, who has committed the sin, needs to be dealt with. And, and he gives them the very process as to how they are going to find out the transgressor. And the next morning, morning Joshua deals with Achan. He, he, he follows the Lord's command, and he discovers that Achan is the one who, who, who committed the sin. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua, so Joshua finds out that it's Achan who has committed the sin. Then Joshua confronts him. He says, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan knows he's busted at this point. And I can't imagine what, what must have been going through Achan's head the night before this happened. Uh, and, he, and, and, and all this, this did not need to happen. And what, and what we see in chapter 8, Pastor Day is going to be preaching on this next week, is that God actually allowed Israel to keep some of the de- devoted things for, in, in, and keep it for their own possession. And so if he would have just waited on the Lord, he would have enjoyed that blessing. But he got greedy. He, he, he coveted this, these possessions and he kept them for, for his own self. 
He made a huge mistake because he didn't trust the Lord. He didn't wait on the Lord. And so Joshua says, or sorry, Achan confesses in verses 21 and 21, truly I have a sin against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. So who is Achan sin against? God. The same way David sinned against God, and the same way your sin, every one of your sins is against God. So Achan says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Achan confesses to Joshua. And Achan, this is no small sin. He breaks three of the Ten Commandments. He lies, the Eighth Commandment, he steals the ninth commandment and he covets the tenth commandment. So he breaks three commandments. And commentators on this estimate that what he, what he stole was actually what a person at this time would have earned after working for an entire year. So this is a year's wage that he stole. This is not a, a small thing that he kept for his own possession. His sin was really bad. But, but you know what? Even if it was small, it still would have been big because it's against God. But as I said in the intro, there is no small sin in God's eyes. Every sin will be punished. Joshua obeys the commands of the Lord, and, and Achan is punished in verses 20 through to 25. Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath, and they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. So it wasn't just Joshua who paid for the sin. Israel suffered. They, they got defeated at Ai because of the sin. And that what, what, what is the tragedy in all this is that his family got punished with him. They were to be put to death along with Achan and all of his possessions. God does not tolerate sin. That is one thing we can see clearly from this text today. And Joshua says in verse 25, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. So Achan paid the price for his sin. There's no question about it. How, devastate, how devastating this was, not only to him, but also to his family and, and to Israel as well. And Israel, and what we see in verse 26 is that Israel is given a reminder of what happens to them if they do the very same thing. In verse 26, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So the stones were put over him to give a picture of what would happen to any one of them if they did the same thing. And the Valley of Achor uh, was a place that symbolized the seriousness of sin and God's judgment on sin. But we can't stop at God's judgment on sin because what comes from God's judgment on sin is a warning that ought to lead people to repentance. In fact, in Hosea 2.15 Long after the fact, long after the after this happened, probably close to a thousand years after this happened, the Valley of Achor was renamed the Door of Hope, because it, it, it's a picture that God's judgment is meant to lead people to repentance. 
God, in, in the midst of God's judgment, his mercy also shines out. And so that gives us great hope that, yes, God takes sin very seriously, but we have a chance to repent and come to him because God forgives. And, this, and we see this at the cross of Jesus Christ, that he sent his son to die in the place of sinners, and Jesus paid the price for anyone who would put their trust in him. And so tr- put your trust in Christ Find your refuge in Christ today if you have not. And if you have, be grateful that you have. That God's judgment won't come upon you because it came upon Christ at the cross so that you don't have to. And when you look at this, this is something that only happened in the Old Testament, right? This is, you know, the God of the Old Testament is is the angry God. That's not true. (laughs) What we see is that this very thing happened in the New Testament as well. In the first century, with the early church. And this was read today in the scripture reading, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It is eerie how much this story parallels the story of of Achan and Israel in, in Joshua 7. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. So his sin was against God as well. We see that over and over in the Bible. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So we see the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. He judges sin in the Old Testament, he judges sin in the New Testament, and he judges sin in the 21st century as well. He, God does not change. But God sent his son 2,000 years ago to deal with sin. Jesus came to this earth on a rescue mission to deal with sin, and he is our hope. All the judgment of sin point, points ahead to the hope that Jesus gives us. And so it's amazing God's love and his mercy, how how much his mercy and love shines through what took place at the cross. And so examine yourself today. This is my application for you, that you would examine yourself and ask yourself these three questions. Do you have any hidden sins? And when I say, do you have any hidden sins, what you must remember is that They're only hidden sins from people because they're not hidden sins from God. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. This is what Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So nothing is hidden before God. So examine yourself. Do you have any hidden sins?
Secondly, do you confess sin? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you confess your sin? Do you confess your sin to God, first and foremost, but also to people? Do you have, do you have people in your life whom you trust, who you can confess your sin to? You don't need to tell the whole world about your sin. You don't need to tell the whole church. But find people who you trust, fellow Christians, who can be an accountability partner for you. And then, that, and then have that person pray for you that you can have victory over the sin in your life. So do you confess your sin? And then do you fight and resist your sin? Don't be a person who succumbs to the sin, who says, I, I can't get over this. I'm just going to be stuck in this place. Don't be that person. Fight your sin. Resist your sin. This is what the Bible commands us to do. Hebrews 12.4 talk, talks about this in a very serious matter. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do you think of the fight against your sin in that way? Have you resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood? Do you do everything that it takes to keep yourself from sin? Because sin offends a holy God and is deserving of an infinite punishment. Do you, take, do you realize your sin is that serious? So in your struggle against sin, resist to the point of shedding your blood, as the author of Hebrews tells us. And also, do you fight sin? Romans 8.13 says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you have Christ, if you are saved, and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power to defeat the sin in your life. You have the power to have victory. If you don't have Christ, you are a slave to your sin, and you do not have power. So the, so the first step, if you don't have Christ, is to believe in him so that you have that power to overcome because your sin will destroy you as it, as it destroyed Achan and as it destroyed Ananias and Sapphira. That's what sin does. It destroys you. It destroys people. It destroys communities. It is destructive, and God hates it. Isn't it amazing that we worship a God that hates sin? So as you strive to enter God's rest, you must understand that your sin is capable of destroying you and causing suffering to those close to you. Take heed to the warning that your community bears the consequences of your sin. And in order for God's people to continue with him, sin must be dealt with. God takes sin very seriously. So serious that every sin will be punished. And Christ paid for sins at the cross. And so put your trust in him today and be grateful if you have that, that you don't have to pay for your sins. But in the meantime, turn from the sin in your life and then those of you who have not embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you can still do that. You're still here. God is a God who, 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 who calls people to repent. Jesus says, repent or you will likewise perish. So there is time to repent. So embrace Christ while there's time. And the suffering that Jesus faced on the cross is equivalent to the suffering that someone faces in hell. It's hard for us to imagine that, but God is just. In his justice, he saw it right to put Jesus at the cross. 
And so if you trust in Christ, then you don't have to face the punishment that your sins deserve. Let's pray. Father, this church is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came into this world to die in the place of sinners, and that he resurrected, and that he ascended to heaven, and that he will come again, and he will, he came to the world the first time to save. He's coming to the world the second time to judge. And before he comes to judge, we must be ready. Lord, we are your church and we want to be ready. Our desire is to be ready. And I pray that we would be a holy people who would be ready for his return. We don't want to shrink back in shame at his coming. We want to be presented before Jesus, holy and blameless before him. This is our desire, Lord. Make us a church that is ready for his return. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.